Oh. This is WHCL 88.7 from Clinton, New York. Thanks for tuning into Dodo History. I'm your host, Mian, and today we'll be talking about the history of America's favorite board game. I'm not sure if it's really America's favorite board game, but I feel like <laughs> that's what it said in a couple of the articles, and it does make sense. I think everyone knows Monopoly. I grew up playing Monopoly myself. And so apparently for years, I mean, I don't really read the directions anymore, so I guess I didn't see this, but the Parker Brothers, who are, you know, you can see on the on the title of the board game, it says, like, made by the Parker Brothers, or maybe it just says the Parker Brothers, but anyways, they're the ones that published Monopoly, and they would put the game's ostensible quote-unquote origin story into the game's box next to the community chest and the chance card so they put their origin story in the game and what they wrote was that an unemployed man named Charles Darrow dreamed up Monopoly in the 1930s in his basement sold it to them and became a millionaire through his inventiveness and his creativity and like this is really an embodiment of the American dream the capitalist dream uh, as you may call it and the real story couldn't be farther from the truth. And so today I'll be telling the real story and the real intention behind the game and this sort of capitalist distortion that happened um, over time and the forgotten woman inventor of the game. So, <clears throat> so there's actually a couple different elements in this. There is feminism, like a woman who was not credited for her work, and there's obviously the socialist aspect also and sort of how capitalism manages to commodify everything. And so I'm starting off with the, the, like I said, the forgotten woman inventor of the game. Her name was Elizabeth Maggie or Maggie. Uh, I'm just going to call her Elizabeth, but she was born in Macomb, Illinois in 1866, um, which was, that's like a couple years after, that's like around the time of the Civil War. And so her father was a newspaper man and abolitionist who actually toured with Abraham Lincoln, uh, which is pretty cool, during the Lincoln-Douglas debate. So he was a journalist writing on those debates and he also ran for office in the Illinois state legislature on an anti-monopoly ticket um, which yeah so as you can see her upbringing was not at all the kind of thing that would bring about the game of monopoly today um, and he lost but she kind of grew up in this socialist abolitionist um, activist atmosphere due to her father's influence and she grew up to be a poetry writer and so she grew up actually i think because her father was quite progressive she also had a lot of independence and autonomy uh, for a woman in that age and so she grew up to be a poetry writer she published a book of poems called my betrothed uh, she wrote another a short story on I think that one was actually on socialism and sort of workers rights themes uh, and she was also a comedian stage actress and these were kind of what she was doing by night so by night she would act in the Washington area and uh, by day she was a stenographer which is where you type stuff down and I think she worked for a courtroom so that was she was a stenographer by day an actress slash comedian slash writer slash, I guess, um, inventor and board, board game inventor by night. But she was also um, an engineer inventor, and so she patented patented an invention in 1893 that made the paper flow more smoothly through a typewriter. I guess it makes sense because she was a typewriter or like stenographer. Um, and at a time when less than 1% of patent applications, like not even patents, but patent applications were women. Uh, so she was very rare and not only was she a woman but she was also in her 20s at the time so she was really young 
and she had already invented this thing and so she also did um but despite um being a full-time worker uh she was the head of her own household at this point and had saved up to buy her own house in pg county which is actually interesting because that's i know that place it's actually close to where i grew up where pg county is prince george's county and it's a little bit outside of uh, washington dc so she had bought her own house there and she was working as a stenographer i think it was full-time but she was still unable to support herself due to low wages and so she did this publicity stunt where she put herself up for sale as a quote young woman american slave unquote as a way to poke fun sort of at the way um like women their only option really is to marry their only financially sustainable option is to marry and marriage of young women is sort of a way of selling yourself off and so it was a satire and it got a lot of press attention actually and after this stunt she was able to meet journalist upton sinclair which i actually did an episode on before on dodo history and she also got a job as a newspaper reporter so this really worked out for her i guess doing this publicity stunt and but four years later in 1910 she married a man named albert phillips and i couldn't really find much on their marriage but um she was like quite old for i mean even today people usually get married in like their late 20s or 30s she was 44 at the time and he was 10 years her senior so this was a really unconventional marriage and they would be married until his death uh, and she didn't remarry afterwards so i guess they had a good relationship and so elizabeth first invented so yeah the majority the why i went into her backstory is because she is the real inventor of monopoly um but it was it's a little complicated so she first invented um what she called the landlord's game to spread the teachings of henry george who was a politician economist and journalist and he was the biggest leader in economic reform in 1800s america probably and is the founder of georgist thought which is just taken from his last name and he was an anti-monopolist and his single biggest thing was getting this thing called a single tax which also i think elizabeth called it the land tax or something like that but um which he wrote about in his best-selling book poverty and uh, progress and poverty and it's basically the tax is lauded as the quote-unquote perfect tax because it's a way to enhance economic efficiency but also to promote equity um and it's also his theories also went into um how what is it extracted from the land so like natural resources have to be equally divided and they have to be a public good basically and also that people should be worth what they produce and so i'm not sure if this is really what was intended i have to after i saw this i was like oh i should really read this book so it's on my book list now to read progress and poverty but um i'm not sure if this is what he intended but i think what what it made me think of was in terms of like people being worth what they produce is ceo pay so for example um in the u.s ceos are paid around 400 to 500 times more than their average worker and that's actually gone down over the years um it used to be even more or maybe it's now it's like 300 something but it's still insane how much more like a c and i'm not even sure if that adds in the bonuses that they get which are millions of dollars and so a ceo in a company and the average worker like not even the lowest worker but the average worker they don't contribute like you only have 24 hours in a day your skill set isn't it could be like twice as more important or 
even 10 or 20 times, but no one is contributing 500 times more to a company in their, like no one is that uniquely valuable to a company, I think. They're not doing 500, 500 times the work or 500 times the skill um, of the average worker in their company. And no other country does this. Like in the EU, it's around 22 times more. Um, and we consistently, the US consistently ranks number one in things like inequality in median CEO pay, um, stuff like that, that is not really, it's just like a marker of really gross inequality. And I was actually reading an article for class and it was saying like, oh, we think China is really wealthy, but actually the U.S. is really wealthy and the reason why is, and like the article had some good points, but one of the points was that we're wealthy because we have so many billionaires, which is such a bad measure for how wealthy a country is. Like, I don't think that necessarily means we're doing well as a nation, and it just means that some people are raking in a huge amount of wealth. Um, and we've also got a lot of people living in abject pro poverty without a proper net to fall back on. So are we really wealthy as a country? I don't think so. Um, yeah, so to go a little more into the single tax or land value tax, as Elizabeth called it, although it's credited largely to Henry George and he was like sort of this radical economist, there are also some really big name economists that have backed this theory, including Adam Smith and David Ricardo, who are both like famous for being capitalists. And so and it's actually in practice in a lot of countries in Europe and Asia. Um, so anyways, Henry George had really influential teachings uh, throughout the 1800s and um, Elizabeth's game was a tribute to those teachings and sort of a way to spread awareness about the land tax and make a satire on the current system of capitalism. And uh, she kind of, well, I'll go into a quote that she had about like her explaining the game. But um, it's basically like what she saw in her society was the primary objective that society um, says that we should all be going after is just wealth accumulation, which back then would have taken the form of a land accumulation or land grabbing. So yeah, if you think about it, like the point of the game in Monopoly is not to peacefully coexist. It's not to like be happy or have public goods like education and um, roads and, and infrastructure and stuff like that. It's to like one, and it's not to have a lasting society either. Like one person buys everything out and then the game is over, which says a lot in and of itself. Um, and this is even after the game was changed a lot or, or sort of like manipulated a lot from Elizabeth's original game. So yeah, about the invention. So she is this stenographer by day and doing this artsy sort of stuff by night. And she has been working on this game for a while during her time off. And she invented this game in when she was in visiting friends, I think, in Maryland. And she applied to patent it in 1903. And her patent was approved in 1904. So she did get the patent for this idea slash game. And in 1906, she moved to Chicago and along with other Georgists, so that's the name for the people that follow Henry George's uh, mode of economic thought, uh, they tried to self-publish her game, but it didn't really work and it didn't really, it's not, it's difficult to self-publish things. So people were already actually playing the game on their own though, and in 1912 there was even a version of her game published in England, and there was a couple other people that made their own local versions as well 
and at this point too she had published one game called the mock tri called mock trial under the parker brothers so they did have this brief contact over this game and as i said so the landlord's game despite being self-published developed its own cult following and it was actually went viral in a sense among especially among left-wing intellectuals but not she didn't really strive to commodify it it was just sort of a folk game that if you look at the original board game it says um copyrighted by elizabeth um uh oh my god maggie i forgot her name for a second elizabeth maggie is it maggie oh geez um yeah maggie um by elizabeth maggie but she yeah like i said she didn't really try to um get the credit for it and it was especially popular on college campuses and there's evidence that it was played at harvard columbia upenn uh, all these prestigious schools and also among quaker circles which is actually how the guy who stole it and gave it to the parker brothers darrow he found it through a friend of his who went to a quaker school and so the guy the friend and his wife and Darrow and his wife were all playing the game together and um, it was sort of passed around informally like I said so people were calling it the Monopoly game because in the original Landlord's board game set she, in the instructions manual she talks for a really long time about monopolies and anti-monopolization so that's kind of how the name stuck and people and so it was passed around informally and people would even put their own local names as the property names and stuff they would write it in and um, and so it was Elizabeth's idea, but the enjoyment of the game was in the public domain, and she didn't commodify it, and um, his friends were playing it, the Quaker friends found it, and they were showing it to him one night, and Darrow and his wife really, I think her name was Esther, they really liked it, and he was like, this is great, and um, <laughs> I'm on hard times, like he was unemployed, I think, at the time, and so I'm just gonna like try to profit off of this game and so he asked his friend to write down the rules to it and um, and then he basically just pretended like it was his own thing and apparently after he did this the Quaker friend who introduced the game to him originally um, never spoke to him again <laughs> because he was so mad because like it was in the public domain and that was the whole point and I don't know we'll go into more later but Elizabeth said of her game quote quote it, it it is a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences it might well have been called the game of life as it contains all the elements of success and failure in the real world and the object is the same as the human race in general seem to have in other words the accumulation of wealth so that was her original intent and in 1924 her patent was about to expire and so in an effort maybe to reassert control over her game she patented oh this is all before like darrow comes out darrow is still he has found the game and he's sort of tinkering with it at this point um and she patented a new version of the game so in 1932 so eight years later she tried to self-publish Monop monopoly i mean she was calling it the landlord's game again and this time it's interesting so in 1932 when she was um publishing the game the it was called on one the board game could either be played as it was sold as like a dual game so it could either be played as the landlord's game or there was a, another set of rules that you could play by called on the same board 
and you could play a game called Prosperity, where the rules of that encouraged, um, where wealth was shared throughout the game and it emphasized cooperation. And unfortunately, it was the landlord's game version that really caught on and became popularized at this point. And so in 1935, as I said, Charles Darrow finds the game through his friend and was somehow able to patent it. And this is like where it feels like our legal system or government system really failed because they didn't realize that they'd already patented something very, very similar. And so he patents it and he brings it to the Parker brothers and the game was sold as Monopoly in 1935. And it was a really worldwide hit. Um, I think it was an instantaneous hit. And now, obviously, it's like a huge, huge hit. And it's been every generation of Americans. And even it's very popular internationally as well. Uh, plays it. And so, oh, actually, this is interesting. So the Parker brothers, they actually rejected it at first. Um, but then they saw how well the landlord's game was doing and they were like, yep, this is worth stealing So they bought it from Darrow and yeah, if you look at the two games, it's so obvious that it was taken from the landlord's game like um, I, Okay, I'm gonna go into the differences a little bit later, but basically they publish it and Elizabeth only makes $500 from her game and Darrow made millions and he continued to make royalties receive royalties from the game throughout his life so he was just set for life on something that he took no part in creating, really. And like I said, Darrow was unemployed at the time, and I feel bad for him. But in a way, that's like even more ironic because socialist policies like a federal jobs guarantee and um, unionization and worker protection might are, are like he was victims of the cat. He was victim. He was a victim of the capitalist system as well, and he turned on something that was like one good thing that was a public good that was educating people about um land like taxation and stuff like that and he just took it and commodified it and so um yeah not only did he sell it to to the parker brothers and and get them to give him money for it but in later life he would continue to take credit for the game as something he just dreamed up in his basement and also, he was kind of, he would always say, like, yep, it just came to me, like, I'm a genius, and I just thought it up. I mean, I guess, like, how do you explain something that you didn't create? Like, you just say, yeah, it just came to me. But, um, and this is really annoying because it ignores the many, many years of work that Elizabeth put into it, and in a way, it was a culmination of her whole life. Um, and she made other games, but she said herself that this game was closest to her heart because it was really about her political beliefs and an, a, an educational tool that she was really passionate about bringing to the American population. So I'm going to go a little into the differences here about the landlord's game versus Monopoly. So uh, like I said, the core structure is the exact same and it's very clear that the game was taken from the landlord's game. They have the same go to jail corner on one end and the jail on the other end. Uh, which you get out of by rolling a double just like we do today and it was a square shape with pad with like the little properties along the lines and uh, utilities and then railroads in the center of each side which was also Elizabeth's little jab at railroad trust because she I mean she made this game against the robber barons I think they were called like the super super wealthy people in the 1800s that were just making a lot of money off of industrialization um, 
so she had the utilities she had the railroads and then the free parking space that we have today used to be the central it was a central park space so it was like um a metaphor for an actual public park <coughs> and um it had the same chance cards and it just looks the same and however there are also significant differences that were there in place to relay the meaning behind the landlord's game and like give um a more anti-monopolistic meaning behind it and the most ex for example the most expensive space today i think it's called broadway but it was called wall street and the go sign that we have today where you just pass go and collect 200 dollars was actually called the mother earth space and the premise of that was that you labored enough and you worked you were working in a sense and then you received 100 dollars in compensation and there was also an inscription on the mother earth space that said labor upon mother earth produces wages which was a nod to henry george like you labor and then you reap the benefits of that labor and nothing more and also if you ran out of money you were sent to the poorhouse so there was this sort of social net that was there and so apparently and this is when things get a little fuzzy so some sources suggest that i talked about the 500 dollars, but it's kind of unclear when she got the 500 dollars and some say she got it from self-publishing but i think she didn't actually make any money off of the self-publishing and she actually got the 500 dollars from the parker brothers in 1932 um and they promised it was like they they promised to publish the landlord's game and her other games if she sold the rights to the game for 500 dollars, which is like pennies compared to what they made like she wasn't asking for that much and so they were just buying up the rights as a way to cover their bases so that she couldn't sue them because they were already planning on releasing the monopoly version of the game and i think they knew that it was taken from her game and so they were trying to make it so that they had the rights so of both games so she couldn't say like oh i have this other game that you're copying and so but she sold the rights in hopes that the landlord's game would get a wider audience and that she would also be able to publish her other games that she was making and so there was just this misconnection or like misunderstanding but more on her part like she thought that this was going to be a mutually beneficial relationship and they were just buying her game so that she wouldn't be able to sue them and she was really happy and excited at this time she was excited to get her game out and she was writing them like thank you so much i this game means so much to me and i'm so glad that you're putting it out into the world um and then like i thought about like why didn't they just publish her game as is um like why go through the legal trouble of buying her rights and then publishing darrow's version and the answer to that i found an anecdote of a meeting that actually happened between the parker brothers president and elizabeth and i'll just uh so quote so barton met with lizzie maggie he testified and asked her if she would accept changes in her game according to barton's recollection she replied like this no this is to teach the henry george theory of single taxation and i will not have my game changed in any way whatsoever for john droger of san francisco the lawyer taking his de deposition barton explained why in his opinion lizzie maggie answered that way quote she was a rabid henry george single tax advocate a real evangelist and these people never change unquote and so he he didn't because like he was a capitalist and he was gonna make he wanted to make a lot of money off of this and so he wasn't gonna have a socialist 
message being put out by a board game and so um and so when he he wanted to change it and then she didn't and that's why he went with the darrow version i think um and that's the one that got really popular and so anyway with the lack of proper accreditation when monopoly was published and she was like you did not i think they released her game and then they didn't promote it at all and then when it like they released it in a couple places and then they didn't promote it at all and then they destroyed all of the unsold copies and now there's like virtually no copies left over today because it's so rare and they didn't they they were just promoting monopoly or the darrow monopoly and so she realized this when they came out with the game in 1935 and she spoke out and she did uh, interviews with the washington post and also the washington evening star where she talked about sh that she had only received 500 dollars for her invention that was now earning monopoly millions of dollars and <coughs> um and it was the same game as as the game that she had invented and she had gone through a co the costly process of patenting it in 1905 so it probably cost her more money than it made her money because 500 dollars is not a lot of money and she even said in those interviews that she wouldn't mind if she didn't get a single penny if only it raised awareness about george's single tax but i like this kind of stuff it really comes down to framing and the way it's framed in monopoly is not at all there to promote social awareness and so that's not really what i think the message players are getting today i mean that's not what i got when i played it as a kid so that's kind of sad but yeah after this newspaper article and her kind of coming out the parker brothers agreed to publish so this is where it's kind of unclear too some sources say like this is when they agreed to publish three of her other games including the landlord's game um but then they only published a few copies so this might have happened before or after and the payment might have happened before or after it might it must have happened before though because in the newspaper it did say that it did talk about the 500 dollars. so yeah there's some mixed reports on this but even as late as 1940 um elizabeth wrote articles advocating for the single tax and but it she even after this sort of media she went and interviewed with these two um newspapers she didn't get a lot of um, attention because the parker brothers had already been pushing this narrative of this unemployed guy who was so creative and had come up with this amazing game and people really liked that american dream story and so no one really paid attention to her and she died in 1948 in obscurity and there's nothing on her headstone and on her grave about monopoly so she was buried with her husband um and she had no children she left no children behind but uh yeah she just kind of passed away with without much recognition and so there's two really important people that are the reason why we have this incredible story. The first is Ralph Ansbach, who 40 years after Elizabeth's death, so Elizabeth's death, so it must have been in the 1990s, he was an economist and professor at, in San Francisco? I forget, I think it was San Francisco, somewhere in California. And he's still alive, actually. And he's also, um, it's interesting, he's also a Jewish refugee who fled Nazi Germany, so this guy's pretty... It has a lot going on in his life as well and anyways he was trying to start his own game called anti-monopoly and he was getting sued i think by monopoly and then he in his court case he was doing a lot of research and he stumbled across the fact that the original monopoly game was actually more like the game that he was trying to make and it was 
uh, which was about busting up monopolies and uh, centralized control in, in business. And so when he discovered the true history of the game, he devoted his life to researching Elizabeth Maggie, which is why we have so much information on her. And his court case with the Parker brothers actually um, went to the Supreme Court and he eventually ruled in his favor. So he was able to have his anti-monopoly game. But um, it was actually interesting during this case, the head of the Parker brothers who had overseen the monopoly deal were testifying or something and they called Elizabeth's game quote completely worthless end quote and that they published her games quote merely to make her happy end quote which is so rude because they literally stole her game and they didn't want to give her credit because they didn't want the socialist tendencies of her original game to be in the game that they published and but the idea behind the game that they published which was hers made them it saved their company from bankruptcy and the fact that they were like oh it's completely worthless what she was doing is just it's just rubbing salt in a wound um and so the second person that's really important in unearthing the story is a woman by the name of mary pilon and she wrote most of the articles that i read and she also wrote a book on both anspach so the professor guy and also elizabeth maggie and her book is named quote the monopolists obsession fury and the scandal behind the world's favorite board game and this book is just like the ultimate guide for what happened in monopoly and she's actually a writer for the wall street journal and the new york times but yeah she's written a lot about monopoly and its history but more as a story to illustrate broader themes about american capitalism and corporate greed which I was like, that's interesting that she's writing for Wall Street Journal because they are a journal, they are a newspaper that up until quite recently, I'm not sure if they still do this, they even publish editorials. I mean, they are opinion pieces, but opinion pieces about denying anthropogenic climate change. So I just like, they hold no validity <laughs> with me. But um, yeah, anyways, that's interesting that she writes for them and also is doing this sort of anti-capitalist work. And so that's the story of uh, Elizabeth Maggie. But a couple of final points that I want to go on. Um, I think what is lost in this story, at least when I first read it and I was thinking about it, I was like, not only is it really cool that sort of like the capitalism and the feminism and all these different elements that are in it, but it's also just a really interesting way from, it's a really interesting educational reform idea too. The way to educate people through games and more creative methods that engage people, um, I think that's really cool too. And this idea that, you know, there's like tax theory is so esoteric and it's not really accessible and making that accessible to even children through a game and through experience and um, instilling certain values in them and yeah it's really unfortunate the way it turned out but in a sad way the story of monopoly is an illustration itself of what Mag maggie elizabeth maggie intended to relay through her game about the dangers of corporate power and how the american dream doesn't work if you're unlucky like she had the idea and then this other guy was able to just profit off of it off of it that under when i hear capitalists defend capitalism it's always like oh you are creative and then you work hard and then you earn this money all this the millions of dollars but it shows this story shows that that doesn't always happen if you're in a marginalized group like women in society and um yeah you don't get the recognition or the money you deserve 
And also in capitalism, I talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but how everything gets commodified. We even commodify a game that seeks to raise awareness about the harm of commodification. Like there's a way to make money off of everything. And the fact that Maggie was okay with um, having this game be in the public domain and then this man comes along and commodifies it is just, it's so illustrative. Like it's, yeah, it, it says everything that the game was trying to relay, in a sense. And um, I also thought from a human nature perspective that it's kind of sad that the Monopoly, because like I said, there was the Monopoly game, which was supposed to be a representation of real life, and then there was uh, Prosperity, which was supposed to be like a representation of socialist society, and it was the Monopoly version of the game that became really popular. And I thought this was sad because my family, when we play board games, we actually really like playing collaborative board games. Like, I'm not sure if you guys know, there's this game called Forbidden Island that my family always plays, and it's like a collaborative board game, and it's not competing, it's like you're all working together to achieve the same common goal, which was more what uh, the game Prosperity was about. And so finally, I have a little update on this, and so Parker Brothers was eventually bought out by this company called Hasbro Games and they actually made a new monopoly called miss monopoly and this was a couple months ago too it was like this year in september i think and they published this thing called miss monopoly or that was at least the article that i read was published in september 2019 and it's called miss monopoly and it's supposed to celebrate women um but there's so many red flags like it's kind of weird because apparently in this game women are paid more than men which i'm like that's not what feminists want we want equal pay also, I was talking to my friend about this, and the pay gap is so misunderstood, I feel like, in both liberal and conservative circles, because I was talking to my friend, and she was like, women need to be paid, I think, yeah, because we were watching the Democratic debates last night, and she was saying, women need to be paid the same as men for equal work, and that's not really what's going on right now, so if you read into it um, about what's going on with the gender inequality, and you go to the government website, that's linked in a lot of uh, people commenting about unequal pay, it shows that it's, I think it's either the median or the mean maybe, but anyways, it's like the average women's pay is something like 89 cents to a dollar in terms of what men are getting paid, but that's not for equal work, and getting paid different amounts of money for the same job has been illegal for decades now, and so if that's what's happening to you, then you can just go to court and sue your company or whatever. But what's going on right now and the root cause of this unequal pay gap is is a little more complicated and like I haven't read too much into it, but it's like a lot of stuff about um, basically women tend to take jobs that are lesser paying and you can see that in social norms too, like doctors and lawyers. If you ask children to draw doctors and lawyers in high-paying jobs and stuff, they always draw men because men are expected to fulfill those jobs of high prestige and uh, pay. And I guess like that's changing now. Obviously, we're encouraging women to be in STEM and and that those kind of initiatives. And then the second thing is the maternity. I think it's called like the maternity punishment or something like that basically it's the the theory that if you track women's pay and men's pay over time it looks the exact same like they're getting the same amount it rises a little as they go along in their early years because you know you start off with a lower paying job and then you graduate throughout the process and then 
it's like slowly going up and up and up and then women's pay drops precipitously after they uh, give birth and then men's pay isn't affected and it just keeps on going up and up and up so overall in society you have women making a lot less than men because they either just quit their jobs they leave their jobs um, or they take more public jobs that like public sector jobs where they can leave work more flexibly and stuff like that or they work part-time um, and stuff like that and so because the burden of mother of, of, of parenthood is put more on women than on men and I think they there's a lot of different like solutions for this because people have tried stuff like oh just give two years or whatever of leave and they can split it as they want between the two of them but then it's always women that end up taking the leave more and so what has been successful and i forget which european country was that did this but they gave like nine months guaranteed uh paid leave uh, maternity leave and then guaranteed nine months guaranteed paternity leave and so there's no pressure of like if the guy wants to stay home it's taking away from the mother being able to stay home it's like two separate pots that they can uh, take their time out of and so that has actually been pretty successful in men taking more paternity leave and this has been shown to be better for the child too like their grades are better their mental health and stuff is all better if they have if the father takes a larger <coughs> role in parenting so anyways that's like a, a little divergent thing on the gender pay gap but um going back to elizabeth maggie so anyways the new miss monopoly was supposed to celebrate female inventors and thinkers and it does mention elizabeth but i'll, I'll just read out what the game says so it says quote the monopoly game as we know it was invented by charles darrow who sold his idea to Parker Brothers in 1935. However, there have been a number of popular uh, property trading games throughout history. In fact, Elizabeth Maggie, a writer, inventor, and feminist, was one of the pioneers of land grabbing games. End quote. So it's like, it's it's not, oh sorry, we stole, we literally stole from a woman who intended the game to be a lesson about monopolization and capitalism and then took a watered down version from this other guy who stole it from her and then made millions off of it it wasn't an apology they just wrote like they they credit the game to charles darrow and then they kind of slide her in as like oh look and look at this cute little woman over here who tried doing her own little game um that was a property trading game it's like no it was literally the same game as monopoly but just a more ideological version of it <laughs> i mean you could argue that monopoly is quite ideological too in the capitalist sense so anyways um this is frustrating, but it's also like the telling this story and part of and remembering Elizabeth Maggie is the least we can do for her and a sort of way to to tribute uh, women who are forgotten in history. So I'm going to finish off with a quote from Mary Pallon, which was the the um, the journalist that wrote about Elizabeth Maggie and the professor guy. And the quote is the adage that is it adage or adage? Adage. The adage that success has many fathers, but we remember only one, rings true, to say nothing of success's mothers. So, thank you for listening, and have a great week. So, I'm going to...